Hello and welcome to Holy Days. I'm Pastor Sean. I'm here with Apostle Freddie. We've got ourselves another episode. Amen. We're excited about this today and uh, going to get right into the Word. Uh, so we're, what is our parashat word for today? It's a... Uh, uh, I caught him off guard there a little <laughs> bit this morning. He's going to have to think about it. But well, tell us what it means. And you'll it means to... when you step up or in your making go up. So when we step up, you know, Pastor Sean, that's what we want people to do. We want to step up. We want to step up in this day and this hour to be the voice for God. And so uh, I believe we're going to be dealing with Aaron, the Levite priest today, and it's Mm -hmm. time for them to step up. Yes. All right. Well, let's just get into and see what God has today. It's a Beha Alakha. So it's it's kind of hard to say. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, that's that's what it is. It means when you step up. So Aaron would step up to the menorah, and there was a step. Not everybody knows this, but there was a step before stepping up to the menorah for them to put the lamps and light them. Okay. So that's not something we always hear about, but inside the temple there was a step for that. But uh, seven lamps to, uh, to be lit in front of the lampstand, and in Revelations uh, chapter 4, verse 5, there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God, lightnings and thunderings and voices. And then seven lampstands in Revelations 2-3 are the seven churches. The seven stars in uh, his hand in Revelations one twenty are the seven angels over the churches, mm-hmm. which could be interpreted messengers. It depends on how you look at it. Yeah. So it could be the leaders. Yeah. Take notice, everything is in sevens. Why is that? It's uh, it's the way God's setting this up. So yeah. I would say it's for the whole world. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, hey, here are my seven churches, my seven branches. Mm-hmm. And that he's, he's getting out to the world. And uh, the light of the churches, uh, the called out believers, uh, started with the children of Israel. Mm-hmm. So I'll point that out. Um, the lightning, uh, the seven lamps, they had their Sinai experience and now are engaged uh, to God and his people. So they're engaged. They had their Sinai experience. And God does almost everything in sevens. True. You know, he created the earth in in six days. Mm -hmm. But the seventh day. He rested. You know, the seventh day is just as important as the six. Mm -hmm. It's a day of rest. That's why we have the Sabbath, the day of rest. And so everything is sevens. And then here we begin, we see sevens and sevens and sevens. And so it's, seven is complete, right? Mm-hmm. So, and the seventh day, you know, represents that millennial reign. Right. When he finally right. rests and we have that time we spend with God without the voice of the devil mm-hmm. interfering. And so many people want to teach about the six days, but they don't want to teach about the seventh day. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, now begins the long journey of the engagement party. That's what I'm going to call it. Okay. So, which I'm going to call uh, when the son of David, you know, and, and Solomon in Second Chronicles seven, uh, chapter seven, one through ten. Uh, here they celebrated seven days and had a uh, holy meeting on the eighth day. So Solomon is uh, dedicating the temple, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, talked about how history goes uh, one day like unto a thousand, and we hear about the seven thousand years, the eighth day assembly. In this moment, uh, for Solomon, he experienced a small touch of what's to come. So we had, uh, we've talked about the eighth-day assembly before. After the millennial reign, you've got God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit dwelling on earth with us. It's, it's about the assembly. You always hear that word when it mentions the eighth day, the eighth-day assembly. 
So Solomon's on the eighth day dedicating the temple. And uh, for Moses and the Israelites, they experienced the foundational moment of what was to later come. After the rapture, we get to experience the wedding with Jesus. And after the thousand-year reign, we get to experience the Father, Holy Spirit, and Jesus with us forever. One uh, God and us, his people, for all time. So I like to point that out because, you know, Jesus always refers to himself, I and the Father are one. Yeah. And, you know, it's, they're one. So it's, this is where a lot of Jewish people, where we lose them. Because we talk about Trinity. And even though Trinity is true, it's, at the same time, it's still one God as well. So we, we've misinterpreted the way we present things. Mm. Both sides. I'll yeah. say that on that. But uh, chapter 8, verses 5 through 22, the Levites uh, after this are called, or rather chosen and separated. Uh, sprinkling them with water of purification, they shave their entire body, they wash their clothes, the same process to cleanse a leper. And uh, we read about in an earlier parasha where I mentioned that. Uh, imagine the water like the cleansing of the blood of Jesus later on. So he's separating these people, cleansing them. And a true cleansing. Um, uh, Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. I'm going to pull that up here. I left a note in my writings here for this. So, Look, I am sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you uh, are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant, whom you are you look for so eagerly, is surely to come, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But who will be able to endure it when he comes? Who will be able to stand face uh, him when he appears? For he was like a blazing fire that refines metal, or like a strong soap that bleaches clothing. He will uh, sit like a refiner of silver, burning away the dross. He will purify the Levites, refining them like gold and silver so that they may once again offer acceptable sacrifices unto the Lord. Then once more the Lord will accept the offerings brought to him by the people of Judah, Jerusalem, as he did in the past. At that time, I will put you on trial. I am eager to witness against all sorceries and adulteries and liars. I will speak against those who cheat employees of their wages, who oppress the widows and orphans, and who deprive the foreigner living among you of justice. For these... People do not fear me, says the Lord of Heaven's armies. Hmm. So, and that passage was Malachi chapter three, one through four. Okay. So he's referring to the Levites. He's referring to what he's going to do in the future when he brings all this back together. So it's it's very interesting. And uh, Professor Chuck Knoll, he was the one that made that correlation. So I'm not taking credit for that. Hmm. <laughs> but. Uh, Verse 11, raising his hands, Aaron must then present the Levites to the Lord as a special offering from the people of Israel, thus dedicating them to the Lord's service. So we get to uh, verses 10 through 13, separated from the people, set apart for God, verses 14 through 17, a gift to Aaron and the priests, so that the people are not destroyed when God draws near to us, verse 19. So people who serve God. And, uh, you know, you got your greeters, your ushers, media, you got every crew that you can imagine. You got grass cutters, you got people who paint, you got everything in the church. And the Bible calls them a gift to the leaders. Mm. 
So uh, you got uh, your spiritual leaders, uh, you know, people, you can't take all the burden on yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, so even though sometimes you want to, mm-hmm. and it's like, hey, I'm going to take control of all of this. Everything happens the way I say it's going to happen. But not really, when you've, when you've done it for a long stretch period of time, you're like, I need help. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they come along, and yeah. what do they like? Well, you know, it's a relief, fresher breath of air. <laughs> it's encouragement. Aaron and her lifting up the arms of, of Moses. Uh, it, takes, it takes an army. You know, uh, uh, too many people try to be a one-man show uh, do, to do this, and uh, we're, we're working for the Lord. And it takes a, a and uh, you know what I'd say to leaders and pastors, don't forget the the guys that are you know in the ditches, you know, helping to, to build everything that needs to be done. So uh, it's a great time to build a body, you know, with Amen. everyone. Amen. It's uh, the the Bible calls them a gift. They are, <laughs> and they are they they and we need to recognize our gift and, and be a blessing, bless our gifts if. Because they, we can't do it alone. Mm-hmm. We can't do it alone. Amen. So uh, I'll just pointed that out. Even here in Leviticus, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, not Leviticus. I'm sorry. We're in Numbers. Numbers. But, yeah. uh, you know, people are, uh, when you're doing these services and you're helping out around the church and doing these things, the Bible calls you a gift. Mm-hmm. So if you ever feel unappreciated or unrecognized, remember that you are a gift to those ministers. And believe me, they know. Yeah, believe me. Can you imagine? All right, Moses has moved the tent, and Moses have to take it down and carry it himself. <laughs> so they had entire teams. Yeah, they, they did. Uh, chapter eight, uh, verses twenty-three through twenty-six. God reduces the age they can come in at from thirty to twenty-five, but still retire at fifty. Rabbis say the need was so great this change was made uh, by God, allowing them to have more help. So. The question comes up, well, wouldn't God have known that to begin with? Well, I'm getting to that. Mm-hmm. I'm getting to that. Uh, intent versus what becomes necessary. I'm going to point that out in a lot of scriptures that you may read. And any time a case like this comes up, I want you to recognize what God's always doing. This is my intent, but this is what we're going to have to do. Mm-hmm. So um, God first shows his intent, and then we see what becomes necessary. Uh, in, in the Bible, we see that God wanted Israel to repent. And uh, what Jesus said when he approached Jerusalem to gather them like a hen would. He's got all these desires he had for Jerusalem. He had all these desires he wanted to have them as a separate kingdom. Uh, he would have never had to destroy uh, the earth and what was going to happen in the revelations and all these things, all this destruction that has to come. And he was going to make them a nation forever where all these things didn't have to happen. Mm-hmm. But they rebelled. Intent versus what has to happen. So I want to point that out in the Bible. God always shows you his intent. But then you see what has to happen because of failure or man's mm-hmm. failure to do things right. So I'm just pointing that out. Uh, we hate to see God's will for someone's life to go unfulfilled. Uh, but everyone has a choice. God will not remove wrong people from you. Uh, from your life until you tell them to go. I, I, I point that out, and that's a, something that I point out in a lot of relationship type things because every time people do, I don't know why, but people come to me for a relationship advice, and there's like, well, I like this person, but this person's in a relationship with this person, or this is going on like this. Uh, what do I do? And they they're telling me they want out, 
And so what do I do? And I, my advice is always, look, wrong people don't leave your life until you tell them to go. However, if a person's not willing to get rid of something they know is wrong, and I'm talking about unmarried people here. If you're not willing to get rid of what you know is wrong, then it's not going to leave your life. Hmm. I, I, I hate to put it that way, but I have to put it that way. Wrong people do not leave your life willingly. Yeah. Flat out. Just, it doesn't happen automagically. People are expecting, well, if it's God's will, then he'll come in and just fix everything. Mm-hmm. What, what, what are you, what, where did that come from? Yeah. You know? That's the, no, no. So wh- what I like to do when people have that attitude, I take them to the book of Jeremiah. I, but I don't like the book of Jeremiah, but there's a reason why I don't. You know, Jeremiah was constantly prophesying negative things, and that's the way they saw him. Why are you always saying this negative stuff? Why are you always talking about Babylon doing this? Why are you always pointing the finger at us? Why, 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 why? And he's like, you haven't destroyed the high places from these other false gods. You've got these false images. You've got these things that you're worshiping. You've not honored God. You're not doing this. You're not doing that. I'm prophesying these things. They're going to come destroy you. You're not listening. And Jeremiah is getting all this across. And they treat Jeremiah... Like crap, if I could say that word, it's bad, and he's constantly worrying, uh, worrying about it. He's constantly telling them he wants to get away. He doesn't even want to say it, but he says, "My my bones feel like fire," mm. and he has to say it. So Jeremiah's doing all of this, and he's trying to warn people, and no one's listening. And that's what I bring out. If you're in a situation where you know you've got something in your life that isn't right. But you're unwilling to remove it yourself because you're waiting on God to do it. Because if it's God's will, um, he doesn't, He's not going to remove it for you. He's not, it's not an auto-magically thing. You have to make that determination. These people have to go. You have to separate yourself to be holy. Be holy for I am holy. Now, God makes you holy, yes. Mm-hmm. And he'll help you do these things if you ask. But um, what I'm telling you is if you're unwilling to make those hard decisions... Take a look at what happened to the kingdom of Israel when Jeremiah kept warning them. Hmm. We all know what happened. Babylon happened. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm done with that rant. We'll move on. But uh, it's, it's just some of these things, you know, be separated from the world and its lusts. Yeah. That's, that's the basis of that, that what I'm telling you. It's not about what you want for, for your life. It's about what God wants for the peace of His Spirit He he breathed into your body and your mother's womb. That allowed you to have life. Your life is not your own. Hmm. Some people say that's that's harsh, Sean, Hmm. but what I'm telling you is God breathed a piece of His Spirit. That's the true you, not your flesh. The true you doesn't want the fleshly things. The true you is a part of God's spirit. That's He breathed that into you. You're paid for at a price by Jesus when he died on the cross. But you're also, the true you is a part of God's spirit to begin with. Mm. He breathed you out. So you don't own your life. Just put it out there. That's reality. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. Colossians 3.3. 3. Yeah. So, uh, you want to add to that? No, uh, you know, just 
the finding that place that we can be in Christ, our life hidden in him, mm-hmm. that only he shines through us. That is the, the goal that we should uh, strive for. Everything today doesn't point to me, it points to him. And people see him through me. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Don't serve the gods of this world that tell you all manner of sin is okay. Everyone does it. That's, that's the worst thing I've heard all my life. It drives me crazy. Well, everyone's doing it. Yeah. And I'm just, that, that's the, every preacher hates hearing that. Can I yeah. say that? Set, yeah. set yourself apart yes. is what the, the, the scripture tells us to, to do and that we are to be separate. Come out from among them, it says. Mm-hmm. That's what they were saying in Jeremiah's day. And when your people ask, why did uh, Yahweh, our God, do this to us? You must reply, you rejected him. You gave yourselves to foreign gods in your own land. Now you will serve gods in the land that is not your own. Mm -hmm. And that's chapter 5, verse 19 in Jeremiah. So we'll go back to the children of Israel. Uh, Chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. We're in chapter 9 now. We see the children of Israel celebrate the first Passover after leaving Egypt with the tabernacle now constructed, they're able to do so. This is in the second year since leaving Egypt. Mm-hmm. So the first year they couldn't celebrate it because there was no tabernacle. There was no place to do it. So chapter 10, verses 1 through 10, speaks of the two silver trumpets. For calling the congregation, directing the movement of the camp, the silver tram- uh, trumpets were used for divine service, Sabbaths, new moons, jubilees, festivals, Passover, Pentecost, and tabernacle. So, got all that out there. Um, if one horn blows, then the tribes would gather at the t- uh, tabernacle, uh, the leaders. If two horns blew, then everyone would show up at the tabernacle. So they had their uh, ways they did this with the trumpets and the way they blasted and certain short blast, long blast, everything was significant. Everything meant something. So First uh, Thessalonians 4.16 mentions the voice of an archangel and the trump of God when the dead in Christ are raised and the living saints are both are changed from to uh, immortality, immortality and incorruptibility. So notice that it says the voice of an archangel and the trump of God. Mm-hmm. Two blasts. Mm-hmm. So the entire congregation to show up at the rapture event. Just pointing that out. Mm. So the Bible always has a correlation. Yeah. And the children of Israel were to gather at the tabernacle when both horns were blasted. So um, perhaps one uh, trumpet marks the resurrection of the uh, elders and the leaders and then the dead and the calling of the... uh, So, sorry, I jumbled a bunch of that together. So the dead in Christ raised first and then the living gather with him too. Two Mm. trumpet blasts. Yeah. So you have uh, the leaders and everybody who held it, all the through it, carried it all through the heat of the day, as the Bible puts it. They ministered, they did all the work, and they've passed on. They've gone on to be with the Lord. They rise first, and then everybody else who remains alive. Hmm. So two blasts, everyone gathers together. I'm just pointing out some things here. So uh, now we're finally getting to the point where Aaron steps up to the menorah to light it, the lamps, but was instructed to just barely light it and step back. And we don't see that in the Bible, but the rabbis talk about that and it was passed down. So what they were supposed to do was light the tiniest bit on the end and take a step back. Because it has to see if the Lord was going to take it from there and make the flame rise as high as it could. So they would do that and they were supposed to do that just to see if the sign of God was still with them. Okay. So they yeah. did all these things you hear about uh, mm. uh, 
uh, the scarlet thread turning white and all these other things. They were always looking for signs that God was pleased. So mm -hmm. that was part of it with the menorah. They would barely light it, take a step back and see if it stayed lit and stayed bright. Um, that was part of what Aaron would do. Uh, the people of God are meant to be shown the way, but they stand and let their light shine. Uh, worship, following, you know, the Bible, uh, obeying the law written on our hearts by the Spirit of God. Uh, it's a pastor or preacher's job to light the lamp of his congregation, keeping the flame lit each day, pouring in more oil. But the light has to stand on its own. So, I say salvation. We just see it all... You know, just as in salvation, mm -hmm. and that you know, once once you accepted salvation, the light of Christ that says, you know, you don't hide your light under a bushel; you let it burn, mm -hmm. but it should burn continually. Mm -hmm. And and I like that that the minister's job is to add fuel so that it continue to burn mm -hmm. brighter and brighter each day. So he's supposed to add the fuel. So he'll speak a little bit in your life, add a little bit in your life each day. You got to let it burn. Yeah. You've got to accept that word. You have to do the rest of that. Mm -hmm. It's uh, You're supposed to stand on your own. I'm going to point that out. Now, I know people struggle, so, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about mm -hmm. making that choice to rise and go the direction you're meant to go. To let your light shine before men and not be ashamed of it. The pastor, he can only do so much for you. A preacher can only do so much for you. You have to learn to stand mm -hmm. on your own and let that light shine. So mm. there's a demonstration of that right there in the Old Testament yeah. with lighting the menorah. So a Christian will sometimes make excuses about reading the word or living rightly or being able to worship. That's mm. a big one. We see that. There's a lot of men especially who say, uh, well, I'm not going to do that. You know, I'm a man. You know? mm. I'm like, no, it's not manly to be cowardly when it comes to praise. Yeah. I will say it that way, and I hope that I do offend you so yeah. you'll remember it. Because as a man... Worship is paramount. I can't yeah. say anything less. It, it is absolutely paramount. If you're not willing to worship him, but you're willing to shout at a sports game or at the TV, that's so much worse. So you need to let your family see it. Your kids need to see it. The wife needs to see it. A man willing to worship God and be, not be ashamed of that, it's a powerful thing. So. Amen. Uh, true believers, a man or woman of God, uh, stokes the fire within their soul and seeks the Holy Spirit daily. I'm going to point that out. A simple practicing Christian can do any sin and justify it through grace, and all manner of things are lawful to them. A man or woman of God separates themselves from worldly lust as they stoke the fire within them, and not to offend the Spirit of God within them. So what am I saying? Uh, a basic Christian can say, hey, I can get away with anything. You know, the Bible talks about there's grace for everything. All things are lawful for me. Paul said it, but a true believer doesn't do those things. They separate right. themselves. So there's a difference between a man or woman of God or just a Christian. A practicing Christian might say, I don't have to obey what God says. He will forgive me. He has to. A true man or woman of God will say, even if I struggle with sin and am ashamed, yet will I obey the direction you command me to go, Father God. Hmm. Practicing Christian will say, we can have sexual relations outside of marriage. Everyone does it. A true man or woman of God will say, I will not dare defile another of God's anointed. That is my sister or brother in Christ. There's a difference there. We are called to become separate from the ways of the world, but you do, doers of the word and not hearers only. 
definitely we hit. Well, James tells us, uh, you know, mm-hmm. you know, we're finding so many just practical things right here the, uh, that we can ponder on a lot of things. Uh, uh, but, you know, the bottom line is, you know, we have to serve God with our whole heart. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, it seems like so many things, uh, people are looking for the shortcut. Uh, shortcut in life, how to get ahead, how to do this and that. But then we come to God, we look for a shortcut also. Mm-hmm. And that shortcut, cut, a lot of times we look at it and go, oh, it's His grace. It's His grace. And God is a God of grace. But there, you know, grace is not for us, to, uh, it's not a license for us to openly sin. Mm-hmm. and go against him. Amen. So he, he pointed that out there. I'm glad he did. Openly disobeying God is as a sin of witchcraft, according to the prophet Samuel. Mm-hmm. So um, what I'm getting at, what he just touched on, we have that grace available us, to us, but doing it on purpose because we know he, he'll forgive us, mm-hmm. that's as the sin of witchcraft. That's well, you know, even uh, Hebrews chapter 10, I think it's verse 26, it said if we uh, sin willfully knowing, you know, uh, you can't just, uh, say, well, I'm going to do this and ask God to forgive me. You mm-hmm. know, uh, you, that's not, that's not what it's talking about. You, if you mess up and you sin, then God, and you repent, God will forgive you, but you can't go into it. Well, I'm going to go do this mm-hmm. and then ask for forgiveness. So, you know, I thought about that at times. I don't like to kill somebody cause they've just been on my nerves, you know, <laughs> and I'm not talking physically killing them, but you know how you are, but you say, if I could just pinch their head off, <laughs> uh, but and then God forgive me. But you know, we we've got to have a different attitude. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, he just mentioned on that too. Uh, willful sin, knowing ahead of time and planning it. Um, the Bible in Leviticus and the Old Testament that mm-hmm. doesn't cover that. There, there's an offering you can give, but it makes it very clear not to do those things. Uh, in Leviticus, it's it's willful sin against that, and then that covers it in the New Testament as well. But what I'm saying is that you're not willful sin is not supposed to be tolerated, right? Because you're you're deliberately disobeying, and it's as the sin of witchcraft. The there was coverings for things that weren't willful sin, and the willful sin ones were, you know, the sacrifices. We went over this in an earlier power show, but yeah, this you know. Hebrews ten twenty six. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. Right there. So, you know, we can't use that grace card forever. Yes, that's what we're getting at. Absolutely. I'm, I'm glad you found that. <laughs> um, so we'll go back to the two silver trumpets Mm -hmm. Uh, they were taken by Rome in 70 AD and not ever in use ever since so just so there's a little bit of history there the trumpets were to be sounded in times of battle as well silver represents redemption and were sounded over the sacrifices as well so they would even sound and blast them over the sacrifices after they made them um, the long blast was called the Takia, and the short blast uh, Teruma. Now you've heard of Yom Teruah, mm-hmm. and uh, that's where the, some of this comes from. It usually sounded as a short uh, staccato blast, and then the Katia is the long blast after the summon of the people. So the the order in which they moved and which tribes win was signified by trumpet blast. So and the children of Israel knew who was supposed to go out by the way the the blast went. Mm-hmm. 
these two silver trumpets also signified the Jews and the lost house of Israel. Apostle mentioned uh, the watchman on the wall in last Sunday's message. And uh, the word the Jews use for Christians in America that support them is uh, Nazrim, and it means watchman in Hebrew. I don't know if you, if you knew that. Uh, so they, they call us watchmen mm-hmm. for them, the ones that support them. So it's, it's very interesting. The lost house of Israel are all that would come to the knowledge of Christ and accept him as their Savior and God. I'll, write that, I'll make that connection. I'll, I will get into that one day. But the lost house of Israel, the way the tribe spread throughout the whole earth, it's all God calling them all back to him. Um, we are called to be watchmen until Yeshua's return. Dealing with the congregation can sometimes be rough, though. The students started complaining about manna from heaven. Can you imagine uh, being somewhere and God's feeding you every day and providing for your every need? Your clothes aren't even wearing out, but you're complaining because yeah. I'm getting tired of eating this manna. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, they soon started com- uh, you know, complaining about it, and uh, it was primarily the mixed multitude that came out of Egypt. So mixed multitudes, uh, they weren't uh, all uh, Jewish descent. We have a lot of that. I talked about how they heard the language when God was speaking on the mountain. Everybody heard in their own uh, language. Uh, They had mixed multitudes among them. The tribe of Dan is believed to have had some idolatry here as well. Uh, And also remember the lepers and sinful people dwelt on the outskirts. So we're going to talk about the outskirts of the camp. That's where your mixed multitudes, where a lot of this was. Uh, so the clean and unmixed dwelt closer to the tabernacle, to the holiness about being consecrated unto God, unmixed with the things of this world. So at this point, the Bible tells us that Yahweh's anger blazed against them, and he sent a fire to rage among them. He destroyed some of the people on the outskirts of the camp. The people screamed for Moses to help. He prayed for the fire to stop. Afterwards, the Bible says uh, the place was called uh, Tibera, which means the place of burning, because the fire from Yahweh had burned among them there. So he stopped burning them, but God himself sent the fire to these people that were complaining yeah. around the outskirts. So... After this, the foreigners among them began to crave the good things of Egypt. So immediately, you know, you just witnessed people burning. Maybe a few days later or something, you're like, well, I'm getting tired of this and that. I'm going to start go ahead and complain again. They mentioned all the things they used to have and the free fish they used to get. You know, sometimes people like free things. You know, they like the government to give them free things. Yes. I'm not going to go deeply into that, but... There's a price for all of this stuff. The lust of the flesh to have the so-called good things they had when they were living in sin. Mm. The pride of life they had to worship idols, eating a plenty and the meats and vegetables, not manna. So we're looking at something here. Rejecting the divine provision, remembering only those things they had when they were in chains and in bondage. So God desires people who truly desire Him to draw close to Him. And many say that they want this. They want to obey God. But they do not separate out from the wrong things, the past, the wrong people. And, you know, wrong people not chosen by God. The devil sends them into your life. And like I said earlier, they never leave willingly. (laughs) Uh, 
The longer you entertain the devils in your life, the closer you are to being stuck with them and the judgment to come forever. I, I know I'm getting serious here, but okay, we'll move on. Verse 10, Moses had all the family standing uh, in the doorways. He heard them in their tents whining. <laughs> Yahweh became exceedingly angry. Moses was also very agitated. Verse 11, Moses says to Yahweh, uh, Why are you treating me, your servant, so harshly? Have mercy on me. What did I do to deserve the burden of all these people? How many times have uh, we said in our own lives, Yeah. Why have you done this to me, God? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here's Moses' moment. Um, God tells him to, responds to Moses by saying, The same spirit that is upon you, I will put on them also, speaking of the 70 elders. This uh, would likely be the same elders that saw God on the mountain with Moses and Aaron. They will bear the burden of the people along with you, so you will not have to carry it alone. So he, he calls out these people. The 70 elders are chosen for the journey to the promised land. It is much easier to deal with 70 than 600,000. 70 would deal with their people and so on, you know, going down from the line. So the reason why I say 600,000 is he has 600,000 soldiers. That's not including the millions of people they had to deal with. That's just soldiers themselves. Um, I can experience, speak from experience and in interceding for just one soul. Just one is uh, when things can go wrong and be difficult, the more you care, often the harder it becomes. And Moses had uh, said in verse 15, just go ahead and kill me, do me a favor, and spare me this misery. <laughs> so I love Moses because yeah. I can relate to some of this, but <laughs> God responds about the food. Verses 18 through 20. Moses responds to God, there are 600,000 foot soldiers, see, told you so, here with me, and yet you say, I will give them meat for the whole month. Even the fish in the sea and all the flocks and herds we have be enough for them. Moses was clearly overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you can see it here. I love God's response. Has my arm lost its power? Now you will see whether or not my word comes true. That is an awesome response from God. You know, that needs also that has my arm lost its power. God's the same yesterday, day, and forever. Mm -hmm. So many people struggle today and they, they want to. Where is God? Uh, can God do this? Is God big enough? And, uh, you know, a little simple, we need to remember every day, has uh, God's arm lost his power? Mm -hmm. Surely not. Yeah. God can uh, do it again. Uh, there's no song that says, Lord, do it again. You did it for Moses. You did it for uh, uh, Joshua. And him. Do it for me. And, uh, and he will do it again. Amen. But his arm has not lost his power. Not lost its power, yes. Uh, when you've been on a long journey of intercession and it just looks like there's no longer any hope, when you question if God can even do what he can do, turn to him all the more and see for yourself. That's what this passage is telling you. Mm -hmm. So, Moses gathered the elders and then the Spirit fell on them. The uh, cloud, the same Spirit that uh, rested on Moses, rested on them and they prophesied. Yeah. Don't miss that. But this never happened again. Wow. 
So there's an indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and then there's the Spirit of God coming upon them yeah. to prophesy. Uh, when we talk about Acts 2, God's Spirit remained on them. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of people, a lot of times you, you're talking about, well, wasn't the Spirit of God or the, or the Holy Spirit present during the Old Testament? And we see that it was, but mm-hmm. it just, it was visits, mm-hmm. more or less. But then on the, when the day of Pentecost had fully mm-hmm. come, you know, that was the final when it was, it dwelt in us. And yes. Jesus said, this is the promise of the Father. He'll be in you. Mm-hmm. So not just on you. See, this is here. And when the Spirit rested up on them, mm-hmm. they prophesied. New Testament, fully come, it'll be in you. Mm-hmm. So two elders that did not join them stayed at the tabernacle and prophesied also. So they weren't coming out to join them, but the spirit of prophecy came on them as well. So Joshua says to Moses, make them stop. Yeah. You know, he's mad. They didn't show up. But Moses asked him, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them all. Yeah. Same thing that uh, Paul tells us in the New Testament mm-hmm. uh, uh, in First Corinthians. You know, it's... I love that passage. A, whole, a lot of people miss it, but in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it's first thing. Uh, Paul says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I would not have you be ignorant. And, and he begins to teach in chapter 12, in chapter 13, in chapter 14. And he ends in cha- chapter 14, I think it's verse 36. He said, but if a man wants to be ignorant, let him be ignorant. <laughs> So I'm kind of a, a, a preacher, look for a beginning and an end. Mm-hmm. Well, here's the beginning. I don't want you to be ignorant, but after I preach, but if you want to be ignorant, be ignorant. So he had this ending. So everything in that, chap- three chapters is one sermon. Now, they, they get upset if you preach over 20 minutes today, <laughs> uh, but it would take a while to preach that. But, you know, uh, uh, Paul teaches us in chapter 14 uh, that... I wish you all would prophesy. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, prophecy is still for today. Prophesying is for today. It did not end. Uh, we find that uh, a lot of people want to teach on the day of Pentecost that it was just a one-time experience. Yeah. But, you know, that's in uh, Acts 2. But as you read over in Acts 8, there were more that mm-hmm. was filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 10, Cornelius, the Gentile, his family got saved. And got filled with the Holy Spirit uh, in uh, Cornelius 10. This is 10 years after the day of Pentecost. Then we read over in in Acts uh, 19. uh, Paul, passing through Ephesus, found more believers. Uh, He said, and they said, he said, what did you believe? We believed in John's baptism. Well, he baptized him in in Jesus because he wanted them to understand it wasn't John that forgave the sins. It was Christ Jesus that forgave the sins. But then... They've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then Acts doesn't end with an amen. It doesn't end. We're Acts 29. We're fulfilling. We're the church age. So the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is for today. And Paul says, I want you all to speak in tongues and prophesy. So uh, it's something that didn't end. Uh, We've seen a beginning of it, a touch of it here, and it's still for today. Amen. Uh, You know, he mentioned that uh, 10 years later. uh, I I didn't know we had that time frame down yeah uh, i just learned something new today so that's awesome 10 yeah. years from acts 2 to cornelius yeah cornelius and then ephesus is 19 years or 20 years right there at that 
kind of that same frame, and uh, so it just puts us on a continuation. Awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, Yahweh uh, sent the wind that brought the quail from the sea and let them fall on the camp. So uh, we're, we're at this point now to, uh, I believe it starts in chapter 11, yep. where it starts talking about this. Uh, everybody's heard this story of the quail, so I'm going to try to say some things that you may not have heard. So let's, let's go into this. Uh, for miles in every direction, the quail were flying about three feet above the ground. So, you know, that's not hard to get a hold of. They caught them all day, all night, and the next day, too. No one gathered less than 50 bushels. So, this might be the part that you haven't heard before. Right. That's about 220 liters or 59 gallons. That is a lot of quail for each person out there catching them. Um, birds in Israel today. People say this is impossible, but watch. A huge migration of quail happens at the spring season, flying southern uh, to, uh, through Sinai and on their way to Africa and Europe. Around February at the Gulf of Aqaba, in the Arabia south of the Dead Sea, the quail often migrate in the dark to avoid predators. They come from the east and into Sinai, into Africa. So the children of Israel would have been near the Gulf of Aqaba at this point. Now, you remember when we talked in the earlier partial back in uh, Exodus, I was saying where they were. Well, they would have been a little bit east of Aqaba. Now, I know everybody wants Sinai Peninsula because the movies and everything, but they would have been right there in that path of the migration path, and they would have landed there. So they would say, well, you couldn't have had that much in Sinai Peninsula. It wasn't in Sinai Peninsula. It's just a little bit east of that. So I'm not going to get into that too much, but I'm just pointing that out, that that migration path, they would have hit right there, and they would have flown over the Sinai Peninsula, if you still want to go there, um, and that would have been their path through there but they gathered east of the uh, uh, Gulf of Aqaba which would have been modern day Saudi Arabia today uh, a little bit in that area so anyway moving on the people began gorging themselves on the meat mm -hmm. while it was still in their mouths Yahweh struck them with a plague so the place was called uh, Kibroth HaTerovah um, if I'm saying that right and translates into the graves of gluttony or lust. Yeah, that's what I never had noticed that written in there that the graves of, of gluttony there. Mm -hmm. So that's what they called it. They named it that because they buried people there who craved the meat from Egypt. Mm. So they craved the old way. They craved the position, the provision they had. They craved the sin they had. We had all these things back in Egypt, and while it was still in their mouths, God struck them and they died. So that's just something to think about. You got to stop looking back to those old things and the old pleasures we used to have or things we did. It's uh, you're not to live that kind of life, and especially when God's providing everything for you. Um, this to me can speak to you know ministers or people who want to go out and sin, mm -hmm. and like, well, God will forgive me. And they want to go gorge themselves on sin or something. They become a frustrated or something like that. Or people in the church who, you know, maybe you got an ex-drug addict. or any, It could be anything. Um, and they just want to go and gorge themselves. There, there's a lesson here not to go back to that sin. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> we're in the wilderness and we're moving. The tent's moving and we're traveling. And then, you know, of course, they crave the meat and they, they, the quail come. They gorge themselves. Many die. 
and then they move to Hezroth. Mm -hmm. And then it's, it's something that a lot of people miss. And it's something that, that just kind of popped out to me where they stayed for some time. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and you know, just in meditating on this. So they, here they, they, they sinned against God. They craved this. They, uh, they fell in, into the gluttony. They ate, they died. And now, okay, we left the place of death, but now we're over here. Now God left them there for a while. Now think about it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> think about it. Uh, Sometimes we want to uh, think, well, you just jump right back in. And, but God left them. They stayed there for a while. Mm -hmm. We don't know what that while was. But it, I, I get a sense that it was more than just a couple of days. Yes. Uh, it was uh, a season. Could have been into years that they stayed there. But to dwell upon, remember what I did mm -hmm. before we moved on. And I, you'd probably get to a, even to a point there, like, is God ever going to move us on? You know, <laughs> are we ever going to get to the promised land? But it was just something that they stayed there for a while after this thing. You know, sometimes uh, when we mess up, uh, we we hinder our progression with God. Yeah. And sometimes uh, God says, okay, just stay right here for a while until you learn your lesson, you remember this, you think about it, and you, then you prepare to go on. Yeah. I don't know if I got totally off no, on no, that. No, no, that's great. But I just something that jumped out at me there, I just wanted to point out. Mm -hmm. so. there, there, there is, it does say that. Yeah. Um, they, they, they went there for a while. And it's, uh, you know, remembering this happened. Pay attention. I want yeah. you to think about it. I this. might just preach on it. They stayed there for a while. <laughs> Now, we're getting to the point, uh, we're coming to the close, and uh, this is where we get to a case of Lashon Hara. Now, we've heard me speak about this before. Lashon Hara is speaking evil. Mm. So, uh, Moses married Zipporah sometime ago, often, uh, some people say when he fled Egypt. And some people say before that, uh, that she's not actually Jethro's daughter, as some say she is. That it was when he was a general in Ethiopia having battles and wars so there's two different opinions here mm -hmm. most rabbis say he only married once and some messianics say we'll say no he married twice but her name means beautiful and she was either a midianite or an ethiopian so she was either mixed uh which we know where the midianites come from but uh, ethiopian or uh midianite so it was one of the two so she's an outsider She's a foreigner. He married a foreigner. So, so let's just remember that. She could have been uh, African descent or Midianite. Either way, most of the Jews uh, at the time would have seen them as an outsider. She's an outsider. Uh, Miriam and Aaron start complaining about mm. Moses because he married her. Mm. Uh, they said, has the Lord only spoken through Moses? Yeah. Yeah. Hasn't he spoken through us too? But God heard them. Uh, God called them outside the tabernacle. Now that's Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. He says, come out here. Mm -hmm. you know, now listen to what I have to say. <laughs> when, when the father says that to you, you yeah. know you're in trouble. Yeah. So God says this. They know that there's something wrong. God says to them, if there were prophets among you, I, Yahweh, would reveal myself in visions. I would speak to them in dreams, but not my servant Moses. Of all my house, he is the one I trust. 
I speak with him face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees Yahweh as he is. So why were you not afraid to criticize my servant Moses? Boy, if people could hear that one today. <laughs> <laughs> when the cloud departed, see, that's the last thing he said. Mm-hmm. When the cloud departed, Miriam's skin was white as snow, and she had Zara'at leprosy, which I mentioned earlier in an earlier partial, mm-hmm. spoken of in the Leviticus, not to be confused with normal leprosy. It is uh, spiritually unclean, demonstrated in the natural. That's what Zarad is. Aaron cried out to Moses, Oh, my master. What a change. What a change right there. Mm. Oh, my master, please don't punish us for the sin we have so foolishly committed. Don't let her be like a stillborn baby already decayed at birth. Moses intercedes, but God objects. If her father spit in her face, wouldn't she be defiled for seven days? So keep her outside the camp for seven days, and after that, she may be accepted back. Wow. So he he was heated. Mm -hmm. He was angry. He was upset. And no, I'm not going to heal her right away. She can dwell outside Mm -hmm. the camp for seven days. So. I've been asked a couple of times throughout the uh, ministry, uh, why if Miriam and Aaron both criticized and complained, why was Miriam the only one with leprosy? To me, I would say... You're not going to go back to Adam and Eve, you know, or it's always a woman. So No. <laughs> no. Um, he was the high priest. Mm-hmm. So there were certain functions he couldn't do. So mm-hmm. touching Miriam would be enough. Also, we don't know if she started it or not. Yeah. So there's things there we don't know. I'm just assuming on that. Yeah. So and that's what we have to do. Mm-hmm. But I've been asked that once or twice throughout. You know why? Why wouldn't? And it was <clears throat> it was a woman that asked me that because I think she thought God was picking on women there. But uh, but I would also say when you complain about someone's wife, mm-hmm. I, I I'm approaching dangerous territory here, but. Who typically complains about another man's wife? Oh, uh, well, <clears throat> it's, we, it's, we go without saying. We just pass. <laughs> so I'm just saying, <clears throat> a man doesn't typically care as much, <clears throat> but he might get involved in arguing about, well, yeah, God does speak through us <clears throat> too. But who brought it up? Uh, come on, ladies, <clears throat> help me out yeah. here, you know. Oh, okay. So we'll just move on. <clears throat> uh, you know, the Torah has 31 different warnings concerning Lashon Hara. Not to have that evil speak. The story of Miriam should remind us to not, not only not to speak evil, but also not to think of it. So to have Yetzer HaTov, good intentions, it's, uh, you know, we, we're gathered in that point where, let's say, a minister or somebody in your family or somebody, they marry someone you don't like. Um, don't even let it in your heart. And the reason why I say that is because you may end up speaking it. Yeah. it. It can come out. So you don't want that to come out. Because God listens to everything we say, and he looks at the intention of the heart, too. So it's, what does it say? The law written on your, upon your hearts. That's what I'm getting at. To have that good intention. Yetzir ha tov. Not yetzir ha ra, which is the evil. 
good, evil intentions. So sometimes we have to learn to let those things go. And I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes you have to ask God for help for that because there may be some things where you're just really bitter about it. And if you know that and you don't deal with it or you just complain about it over a long period of time and just try to suppress it, that's not the way to do it. What does God say? Cast all your cares upon me. So if you have an issue with that, bring it before God and let him deal with it before it becomes an issue. That's, that's all I'm saying there. So Miriam didn't do that, obviously. Uh, Aaron didn't do that. There's issues that they didn't bring before God and cast their cares upon him. Yes, they didn't have that scripture yet, but casting your cares upon God. You know, sometimes I will separate myself and just lay it all out there on God. I'm like, this is everything that I'm feeling. And, I'm, and I will explain at the end, I'm not trying to be offensive to you, God. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. This is everything that I'm feeling. And I do that because who else can deal with all of that? You know, it's God. He's, he tells us, commands us, cast your cares upon me for those very reasons. Why? Because if we're just saying it to him, he's a father. He helps us deal with it. He leads us through these things. If we're saying it and out loud to other people and spreading rumors and Lashon Harang, that's evil speaking. So it's not wrong to tell God how you're feeling, but it is wrong to speak it to other people and start cutting people down and Lashon Harang, the evil speaking. So just pointing out the differences in those two. Mm. So prophetic people, I'm going to go there, sometimes try to direct leaders and control them and believe that they are right. Well, you should listen to me because God's Spirit moves on me. Mm. Taking away the authority of God, if that were possible, to decide who leads and who controls and who does not. This is what happened here. Hmm. So, But Moses, God's anointed, listened to God, obeyed God, and was trusted and appointed by God. Moses never committed Lashon Hara here. Notice that. Mm. If we take a look at it, Moses didn't say, well, you deserved it. Yeah. I told you not to do that. Why would you say that about me? Yeah. It's not mm. there. He immediately goes to caring for her. In that spirit of intercession. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he interceded for his sister without a single thought, without a single word of anything else. God, please don't let this be upon her. That was his heart. Mm-hmm. So who had the right intentions there? Yeah. So yeah. we're looking at that. It's showing us that. Mm. Um, and having that in our lives to, you know, love one another. That's what Moses was demonstrating. This is how you, um, you will know my people. This is what God says in the New Testament. Yeah. It's how you will know my people, that they love one another. Mm. So any thoughts? Well, it's great teaching. A uh, lot to ponder here today. Uh, we covered several different different thing but i like how we ended here uh you know the intercession uh there's always going to be people disappoint us in life there's always going to be people that talk about us Mm -hmm. in life and uh moses showed us a right response Uh, how do we respond to rejection how do we uh respond to criticism is that we pray and uh we don't pray god destroy them we we pray god to bless them and help them amen and uh and so, uh, love people. Amen. Love people. Amen. 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 Well, thank you for tuning in today. We hope that we helped you along the way. Uh, we hope that some of the things that we talked about uh, enlightened you, uh, inspired you to dig deeper. But uh, I just wanted to 
say uh, Pastor Sean does an excellent job. Uh, we appreciate uh, his teaching, his willingness to lead this. And uh, uh, you have any response? Uh, I, Sean keeps up with uh, the, all of the technology, but uh, he, we do put up how you can support us. Also, uh, uh, encourage us along the way. So we'd love to hear from you. Well, you'll see the email at the bottom, and you'll see any contact information we always have at the end of the episode, which I'll put up there right now. And just, we'd love to hear from you. So let us know, and may you have the most blessed week you've had all year long, and may God show you that His Word does come to pass. Amen. God bless you.